0: Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast that will never raise your hopes with a come-from-behind win and bring it all crashing down with a 78 all-out. I'm your host, Benny, and this week, me and co-host Mayank will be speaking with someone the Guinness Book of World Records considers the world's biggest sports fan. Kieran Blake, more popularly known as Beefy Blake, is an Australian radio show host who has played all manner of sports at a professional level in his lifetime, including cricket. Having an insatiable taste for sports since his early childhood, Beefy has attended tens of thousands of sporting events across the world at some of the most famous stadiums on the planet, including the Olympics, the Commonwealth Games, World Cups, and World Title fights. So great is his passion for sport that twice he has been crazy enough to fly from Australia to the UK for a mere 24 hours to see his beloved Newport County play at Wembley Stadium. Most prominently, he created 365 Days of Sport, an initiative that saw Beefy watch 306 different sports in the course of 365 days. He's here to talk about all of that, including his thoughts on the current state of Australian cricket and how playing sports can impact other areas of your life. Without any further ado, here's Beefy. (music) Well, hello, Beefy. Welcome to The Last Wicked. Thank you for joining us today. No problem. Thanks for
1: having me. I really, really appreciate you guys getting in touch.
0: Absolutely. You know, Beefy, when we started The Last Wicked podcast uh, many, many months ago, actually, beginning of the year, uh, we had people like you in mind that we wanted to talk with because you come with, you know, your own interesting journey. uh, and, And that's what we want to talk about. You know, whether directly or indirectly related to cricket. So we will get to that part. But before that, I do wanna talk about Australian cricket uh, just for a little bit, uh, because as someone who spent you know, a major part of his childhood being envious of Australian cricket and the depth of champion cricketers it has produced for years, not to mention the various trophies uh, they kept sweeping. It is mildly alarming <laughs> to see their current state, is it as bad as it looks?
1: Do you know what? I think it is, weirdly enough. uh, I mean, look, you can put your 2020 form and your one-day form in a different basket than you can your test form, but mate, if you, the coverage of the Bangladesh tour was zero. No media company bought the rights to show the Bangladesh tour. Right, you couldn't watch the game
0: in Australia, is what I heard.
1: couldn't watch the game, exactly Right. right. And the fact they lost 4-1 and they got bowled out for their lowest ever uh, 2020 total probably Mm -hmm. sums them up. I mean, they mentioned the fact, you know, in Australian media, they're missing a few players. They weren't really missing that many players. They, you know, Steve Smith, that was about it. Oh, David Warren didn't play. Fair enough. But really, 2024 doesn't revolve around your your two-star players. You know, it is an 11-man game. So for them to get beat 4-1 in Bangladesh... I would be ringing the alarm bells right now. And the fact now that uh, it's come out that Justin Langer's has had a massive, uh, massive row with <laughs> uh, Cricket Australia staffer, which they're trying to sweep right. under the table. Um, yeah, that kind of sums it up right now. So yeah, great. I love seeing them lose. It's Fantastic. <laughs>
0: Well, let's talk about Justin Langer because, you know, when he came into the role, there was a lot of expectations. I remember elite honesty and all of those buzzwords which were thrown in. And of course, the documentary on Amazon Prime. Uh, But now when you look back, it just seems to have thrown up a lot more controversies than, you know, in an ideal coaching role. And the latest one, you know, the whole issue over someone from Cricket Australia posting a video of the Bangladesh team celebrating. It seems so trivial considering all yeah. that is going on. Do you think uh, it is, you know, a, he is a worthwhile investment by Cricket Australia to, to keep him on in the role?
1: Um, I think so. I, I think he's probably the type of person that they want. Um, you know, hard-nosed, a fighter, uh, someone who thinks a lot about the game. But... If you start looking into his actual record, it's not that great as a coach. You right. know, even with the, the Perth Scorchers and there's issues over there. Now they're starting to find out that a lot of their 2020 players are on dual contracts. So to get under the salary cap, they were getting paid by Western Australia. Um, whether or not this is in the, open, in the public forum, I, I really don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, so it looks as though, you know, there's a few issues that are being uncovered about Langer and you know when you actually dig deep into his record it's not fantastic um and what's now coming out is there's a lot of players that are saying you know well what's he actually doing I don't like you know how he's going about this so I don't know the obviously the the he took over from Darren Lehman who kind of went out in the same fashion that you know had a bit of a Uh, A stash with cricket Australia and just walked away in the middle of a series, Um, so it's it's not all sweetness and light. I think there Australian cricket is now coming to a point where the the after after effects of the Steve War mental disintegration push Mm -hmm. is now starting to fall away, and the fact that Australia have been so good for so long and so aggressive on the field uh, and playing a form of cricket. Which kind of doesn't suit world cricket anymore, because the fact is, you know, they've been abusing people for years and years and years on the field, and are now getting called out with it, called out on it because of stump mics, social media, uh, and everything else. It, it's not washing anymore, and it's also not washing with the Australian public. I mean, obviously, the the ball tempering stuff, you know, that's left an indelible mark on Australian cricket, and they are struggling to recover from that. You mentioned um the ashes documentary look that went a long way to kind of band-aiding a lot of the issues with the Australian cricket team but it only takes a few losses here and there for them to all of a sudden come falling down again so Mm -hmm. it's a fragile place Australian cricket right now but you can't deny that they haven't got tons and tons of talent sitting there waiting to play because they they really have although you know they're struggling a little bit but I know that you, uh, you mentioned about <clears throat> the possibility of Steve Smith coming back to captain, you know, when Tim Payne decides he doesn't want to do it anymore. I'm not sure that will wash the Australian public anymore as much as uh, people love Steve Smith. I mean, they just really, they don't really care who's captain, to be completely honest, as long as they're winning. And that's that's part of the problem with Australian cricket because they kind of think they can get away with everything as long as they keep winning. But,
0: but isn't obviously- that... A- but wouldn't you say that is an issue where like if if you so, for example, for years, we knew who the leader is, you know, for of the Australian team. We had yeah Ricky Ponting, Michael Clark, Steve Smith. Now, when you look at the Australian team, at one point, it's Tim Payne in, in the tests. And then in the limited overs, is anyone from Aaron Finch to Matthew Wade to uh Alex Carey. it's it's We don't know who's the captain at any given time, you know? So I think with,
1: with Finch getting injured, I think, I think they've kind of put their eggs in, in the limited over basket with Finch. Um, The problem is he's not in form. I mean, he hasn't scored runs for a long time, really like big runs. So, you know, but I think the push is to keep Finch as, as limited overs captain.
0: Okay. So, you were saying the Australian public would not be as welcoming of Steve Smith as captain, uh, but who does that leave as the next leader uh, of Australian cricket?
1: That's a bloody good question. really is. I think, I genuinely think Pat Cummings.
0: Yes, I'm, I'm, that, I'm a big fan was, of Pat Cummins.
2: That was the name on my mind as well. I, I think he was anyways vice captain um, uh, during the test series so I, I feel like yeah there's, there's definitely a succession there that's mm. likely but I think right now it seems like Tim Payne still continues to have enough support that it's, it's not, a, not a problem
0: And I know the comments uh, did he, didn't he take up captaincy duties for his state team?
2: Uh, probably
1: Do you want to do you know, what, you want to know a, a scary thing about Australian domestic cricket especially the, the Sheffield <laughs> is nobody knows.
2: Nobody, nobody watches that. it.
1: no, Nobody follows it. <laughs> they, they don't use it as an indicator to get into the test side anymore. It's, you know, you're in the Australian side or the squad, you know, they, they always name 17 to 18 players in the squad. Right. And it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's not like the days of Matt Hayden scoring mountains and mountains of Sheffield Shield runs or uh, Mike Hussey, you know, playing domestic cricket scoring runs to force themselves into the test side. It's now a case of, it's kind of a bit of a closed book. You're, you know, you're in the fringes. Um, mm-hmm. Sheffield Shield is, unfortunately, it's just irrelevant. It really is mm-hmm. irrelevant. Uh, but, you know, it's a scary thing. But it's strange, isn't it? You think about it and you go and see Sheffield Shield cricket. See, I live literally a five-minute walk from the MCG, not the Victoria play there anymore for Sheffield Shield cricket. But, um, you know, I used to go and have a look. And there'll be 50 people there. And they'll, they, you know, early on in the season when there's no test cricket, there'll probably be 8, 10, 12, 14 test players playing. And there'll be 50 mm. to 100 people watching this. It's just in a 100,000-seater stadium. It's surreal, really. It's right. very, very strange. Um, huh. But in terms of that, yeah, they don't they don't use the Sheffield Shield as an indicator for, to get in the test side anymore. It's it's very rare. Um, they identified players through under-19s and everything else, like Pukowski and... And these guys, they're on the radar from when you're 16, 17 years old. Um, and, you know, the fact is they kind of use it for experience, but that's about it. They, they, you, know, if you, you know, if you have a bad trot, fair enough, but realistically, you know, you're in and around the scenes and, uh, yeah, that, that's more, more evidence than anything else than, than actually, you know, banging down the doors if you're scoring hundreds every week.
2: And I think that's that's a great point because I feel like that's similar with the T20 team that lost in Bangladesh where, yes, some players were not available and all of that, but there were still some questionable selections. So, and, and I feel like I've heard that quite a lot where people are saying, hey, it's not just about the head coach and sure, like not having the right environment matters, but at the end of the day, Australia is consistently not selecting the best people. And I, I remember that argument even in the 2018 border Gavaskar Trophy when, you know, in Smith and Warner's absence, we saw Marsh Brothers, we saw Peter Hanscom, and, and many of them, many people thought that, you know, those were not the players who should have been in, in those places um, in their absence. So it seems like it's a mix of selection issues as well as, you know, um, obviously some people being not available, followed by the coach not really having a great record. So it's a, it's a mix, right?
1: Yeah, you can throw Joe Burns in that, in that uh, pot as well because, you know, he got called back last year to, to bat at the top order because, you know, he played a bit of test cricket. You know, his record wasn't fantastic and yet they still put him back in the side. Um, but it's interesting you say that about the coach. I did hear a, an interview with Langer just before the Bangladesh tour about how Dan Christian was ringing him nearly every day to make sure that he was still in the 2020 mix. So... right you know, Dan Christian's, you know, he's a good 2020 player, but should he be in the Australian squad? You know, he's late thirties, you know, probably not, but the fact that he has an you know, he can get in Langer's ear and then all of a sudden he's in the side. And I think he played four out of the five 2020s over there. And yet, like you say, I don't think he's probably a first choice. I mean, he's a, he's a decent all-rounder, but I'm pretty, there are other players that that shine in the Big Bash that probably should be there ahead of Dan Christian, that's for sure.
0: You know, with the Big Bash throwing up a lot of uh, you know interesting games from time to time. Uh, do you think that they should be producing more top class T Twenty cricketers for Australia?
1: With with a foundation like the Big Bash, of course. You know, it's on TV every night here for about six weeks. Um, yeah, they should be. Um, but I think it's an ever-moving feast, isn't it, 2020 cricket? There are players that come into form, come out of form, have good good weeks, bad weeks. Uh, the, the top players do shine effectively. But at the end of the day, you know, let's face it, nobody really cares who wins at 2020. It's great in the moment. You know, right. I think it's probably different from you guys. If you're massive IPL fans and you've got a team in the IPL, perhaps that's a little bit different. But you know, you know, I've followed cricket all my life, and 2020, realistically, if it's the Big Bash or the Vitality Blast or you know, Canadian League, Caribbean League, Bangladesh Premier League, the uh, Pakistani Super League, there's all these leagues going on. At the end of the day, I don't think anyone really cares who wins. I, it's it's just my goes by in a opinion. blur. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's all it's good in the moment, but at the end of the day. Do I care if the Melbourne Stars win the Big Bash? No. I think it's it's different. Do I care if, if you know, um, Queensland or Perth Scorchers win? No, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. You're not wholly and solely invested in these teams. It is an entertainment product. It's not, it's not like English football where, mm-hmm. you know, that is your passion. You are 100%. You want, you know, you live and die by the sword. You know, 2020 cricket is one of these things. It's... I, I'd even go as far to say, even in the international game, you know, I, I couldn't tell you who's won the last few 2020 World Cups. I, you know, right. I really can't. And, and yet, yeah, you know, I will watch probably 100, 150 days of cricket in a year. Um, you know, I know England won it once, probably 2007 or something, but really, I don't really know. And it's not ingrained in my personality about 2020 cricket and who wins on a regular basis in, in world cricket? I, it, like I said, I think it's an in the moment thing. I don't think I'm wholly and solely invested in it. And yet, you know, we, we just off air, we mentioned about the Olympics and 2020 is probably going to come into the Olympic reckoning. Um, it's the way forward. I, I know, you know, in the UK right now, the 100. Is it a good idea? Um, I'm still not sold on it. I think it's got some good ideas, but do they need another another tournament? Yes, because they're trying to get it on free to air TV. They want to push kids into playing. They want to make it a bit more entertaining, a bit more uh, accessible for women, especially. But uh, you know, they have to find a right balance. I don't know if you saw there was a great interview with Michael Atherton uh, a couple of days ago about you know players not playing cricket because of the fact they've they're playing uh, 50 over cricket, they're playing Vitality Blast and they're playing the 100 all at the same time. But there's no first class, there's no long form cricket going on right now. So you've right. got players like Butler, Birstow, um Curran, I think there was one more, who haven't played first class cricket since February. How can you play, how can you put a test team out with three players that haven't played red ball cricket in five, six months? Are oh, you just... ah? Oh unbelievable so they've got to get themselves sorted out but i mean 2020 cricket i mean it is the way forward if you if you want mass participation and i know you guys are in the states unfortunately or unfortunately i don't know whether that's a good choice it was yeah it is the way forward because it's short form it's quick yeah and probably going back to my point results don't really matter (laughs) i
0: I, I think it all depends on the audience like I think in the US T20 cricket would really go well. Like if it was marketed well, like the audience would lap it up. Uh, let's. I talk... actually
1: think I think the hundred, weirdly yeah. enough, in that form. I know the rules, you know, and the little niches are a little bit different. And for cricket lovers to get their head around. I think the hundred is probably a better form for the US to work mm. with, um, weirdly enough. So I don't know. Will, will the 100 take off around the world? I don't know. It's, it's different. It's quirky. I like it. I don't mind it because the one thing that gets me about World Cricket, and it's probably the same for everyone, is overrates. The game has yeah. to be speeded up. It just has right. to be speeded up. You know, you have to take things to the next level and how they do that across the board. So with the 100, you've got 65 minutes to bowl your overs. Otherwise, there's penalties. I remember when 2020s first came out, there used to be a clock on the side of the pitch, I think it was, was it one hour 15 or one hour 20? I think you had to get your overs in. Now games are taking four hours for 2020 cricket. it's just- Because ugh. nobody followed
0: it. You know, they just, you know, got away with it. They just decided there's no point in having this yeah. anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, Beefy, let's let's talk about you. Uh, yeah. You were crowned by Guinness World Records as the world's biggest sports fan. Tell us how did that come about?
1: Uh, yeah, I am officially the world's biggest sportsman. That's a title that uh, a lot of people are quite envious of. Um, <laughs> so I did this project. I, I created this project called 365 Days of Sport, and it was a challenge to go and see 365 different sports in the space of 365 days. So no matter where they were on the planet, you know, we tried to work uh, on a schedule to get to these these sports all over. So the challenge one was finding 365 different sports and then challenge two was working out where they were taking place and what we could see, you know, on, on the road. So it, I started really researching three years before we got to a point where we were well, I was going to be ready to go. So, yeah, it the, the, the all came about where I was, I was playing football up in Brisbane and, you know, on a Saturday night having a few drinks with my mates in a pub. And we started talking, as you normally do, about, you know, how many sports do you think there were? Uh, how many sports do you think you can go and see? Could I play some sports? Um, so, and it was an idea that kind of grew my mind over the next 10 years. And I didn't, I genuinely didn't tell anyone because I thought it was such a good idea. If I, you know, if I told someone, they're probably going to do it. So I kept it to myself. <laughs> and then I had a bit of a midlife crisis. And, you know, I got to a point in my life where, thought you know if i don't do something about this i'll probably regret it for the rest of my life so i kind of really sat down and started doing the research started putting lists together of sports started working out where sports were happening at certain places um yeah so i just built it it took three years it was kind of my full-time job outside of my full-time job to kind of mm. you know i'd work all day go home right i need to do three or four hours plodding where you know just finding out sports you know, right. just weird and wonderful stuff, but yeah, it was amazing, really was. So we started, We, I started putting everything together and my flatmate at the time, he was studying script writing. He wanted to, you know, he was looking into comedy, you know, he was a New Zealander. And I just said to him, I said, you know, if I if we do this, if I do this, we need to make it tangible. So, you know, when he was on board from day one, so we did some practice stuff. So we turned every sport we saw into a little web show. So you hmm. know we made a hundred shows when we were on the road. And unfortunately, obviously the, the money ran out kind of halfway through and uh, we didn't get as much sponsorship as we, we thought we were gonna do. And uh, yeah, so Rob finished up after about six or seven months and I, I kind of finished it off in Australia. So um, yeah, in terms of that, it, oh, it was just amazing. It was uh, incredible. And as I was coming to the end of it, Guinness got in touch with me and said, you know, we've been tipped off about what you are doing um, do you they actually asked a question? Do you think you'd be eligible for a world record? And I went, well, that's an interesting question. You know what <laughs> what you're thinking. So the I sent them yes. all the inf- yeah, I sent them all the information, <laughs> um, and in the end, after a bit of to and fro, they they decided to crown me the world's biggest sports fan.
0: Wow. Well, yeah. belated congratulations. Uh, <laughs> I am curious though, because so you watched 306.
1: Yes, sport, in the end, 306 sports in the year, different sports, yeah.
0: So, I'm pretty sure you didn't understand every single one of them that you watched, y- You'd
1: correct? be surprised, <laughs> um, <laughs> y- Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, but we did, a, you know, every sport I saw I kind of did a crash course about what was going on. So, it, um, yeah, and th- there's some sports out there I wouldn't want to try. I mean, we, there's a, on our Facebook page, 365 Days of Sport, there's a, we made a pilot show because we're trying to, sell the concept to a TV network. Okay. So, But there is a pilot show that we've put on there, so please check out, check that out. But we met a jouster. Now, jousting kind of died off in the 1700s for a reason, because people were getting killed. But there are a few guys out there right now that are out jousting in the 21st century. Why? Because they're a bit mad, they're a bit different. So we met a jouster. Um, and the interviews we did with him are just phenomenal because it, if you're going to get in a horse in, you know, 2020, 2021, dress up in a suit of armor that weighs, you know, 120 pounds and try and kill each other at 30 or 40 mile an hour on the back of a horse, hitting each other with massive, long wooden sticks, then yeah, you've got something wrong with you. You really have. It's uh, But, you know, we... I don't fully understand jesting. I don't ever want to know about jesting. But, but then, does it, it has,
0: just become about the experience then, right? As a yeah. fan or as a spectator, exactly. it's about taking in just that sporting experience. That's what that it comes down to.
1: 100% right. When, we started, when I started this thing, is, it quickly became clear there is a sport out there for everyone, you know? Hmm. We, we had the national broadcaster in Australia, ABC, came out with us on one of the last, last weekends. And the very first sport we saw that day was dancing with dogs. Now, if you've got a dog and you want to dress it up in a fancy dress costume and then dress yourself up in a fancy dress costume and do a dance routine in, you know, in um, choreographed to music, then you're a very special person. And that is your sport. Great. (laughs) And the guys from the ABC thought we were actually taking a piss about, can this be a real sport? Yeah, there's a real sport. There's a world championships in Stuttgart every two years for dancing with dogs. So yeah, there is sports out there that require the same amount of commitment and passion as if you were playing test cricket, Uh, you know, they just live, you know that side of things and
0: i want to see uh, that in the olympics (laughs) (laughs) that would be fun
1: oh i'm not sure you do um but (laughs) look in terms of that you know we saw the weird the wonderful the social uh you know the the cultural culturally appropriate inappropriate sports or appropriate sports um but you know we went to the the eskimo olympics in greenland now the sports that they play at the eskimo olympics are all derived from living on the land So there's a sport called snowsnake where it is, you know, you throw a javelin along the ice. So instead of throwing up in the air, you throw it along the surface of the ice. Now, how that sport came about is if you're living on the, on the land above the Arctic circle, what you do is if to to feed yourself in times of trouble, um, you cut a hole in the ice, you bang on the ice, and the seals look for the hole and they poke their head up out of the, hole in the ice to see what's going on so then you get your javelin and whoosh, straight through the seal so that's how you live you know so that's how that sport got derived it's all about living on the land and surviving um they've got a, they've got a sport called um stick pull sounds you know pretty normal but you stand shoulder to shoulder with someone else that you face two different ways they've got a rolling pin that they cover with large so to speak so the idea is you stand shoulder to shoulder, you've got to pull, you keep your arms straight, you've got to pull the rolling pin out of the other guy's hand, right? And what that mimics is when the ice is melting and there's a few streams going on and uh, the streams are quite shallow, is how you catch fish by hand. So the idea is you go in and you grab the fish and pull it out of the water. So that stick pull mimics how you pull slippery fish out of the pool, out of the, out of the water, so you can eat. So But Like, that absolutely amazes me, the fact that you can... There is sports derived from, you know, ancient history. Uh, And it's just... People are so passionate about doing these things. Oh, I've got to... Actually, talking about the Eskimo Olympics. They do a sport called finger pull. So you basically lock your middle (laughs) fingers together, and the idea is you have to pull them apart.
0: We used to do that at school all the time.
1: Right, okay. (laughs) The Greenland Prime Minister... This is no—I'm not making this up, right? The Greenland Prime Minister. Sorry to be rude. He has had his finger, middle finger, amputated because of he was in a finger pull competition and wouldn't give up, and the blood supply got cut off, oh. so his finger went numb. So <laughs> he's the guy you want as Prime Minister, he—he yeah. is—he is fully committed to his art. So I yeah, would the vote Greenland. Yeah, yeah. The Greenland Prime Minister has had a finger amputated due to a finger pull injury. So, yeah, I love that story.
0: So basically, anybody can invent a sport. Is what I'm getting from all of this. There's no bar.
1: I genuinely think now the world is 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 geared up for hybrid sports. So Uh things you do while doing something else, Segway polo, that's a big thing. You know, you fly around on Segway and you play polo at the same time. But I think. You know, I'm a big fan of foot golf, which is golf playing with a soccer ball. So the holes are bigger, but, you know, it's enjoyable. It's easy to get into. I I think there is a massive market for people bringing kind of new variations on existing sports because people want to be entertained, want to try different things. Um, And it's easier now to get the word out because, you know, obviously we're on YouTube every day. We look at weird, stupid things. We're on Facebook most days. Things pop up all the time about new. Yeah, um, yeah. There, there's there's a massive market for for new, different, challenging things. Whether or not we're going to be fully invested in them is different, but we yeah. do want to try. We do want to be entertained by it. So in terms of that, yeah, I, try, I think it is. And I think people are quite creative now about designing different sports. I mean, we we met uh, a guy in Yorkshire who invented a sport called VX. VX is brilliant. It is awesome. Yeah. It is. I, I guess it's you get a double ended lacrosse stick and you, you have to hit each other with tennis balls. It's, it's, it's so fun. It's brilliant. And kids love it. So look up VX. It's a, it's a, so, it's such a good sport as well. You play it on the squash court and, you know, as you guys may know, squash is kind of, you know, declining. He was at his peak in the eighties. And there's all these squash courts kicking around that don't get used um mm. so playing this sport vx is brilliant i mean if you want to smash absolute living hell out of your best mate in the name of sport then uh, have a look at vx it's, uh, it's very funny
0: wow i i'm actually very envious that you've got to experience all of those um e- even if you didn't make it at 365 three hundred six. Yeah. that that is i feel like you should have taken a two-month vacation after that <laughs> if you if you did not um So that is actually very inspiring that uh, yeah, congratulations to you for accomplishing that. Um, I
1: think we, uh, I think I've done the, uh, the, I think in the end, I think we did, or I did about 400,000 kilometers. And most of that was in the first seven months. I think it was 121 flights. Uh, We went through 31 different countries. Um, But it was mad. Like we, I tell you, this is like a, a one week span where we went to, we flew to New York, went to a pool tournament in upstate New York, went to an NHL game in New York at Madison Square Garden. The next day, flew to Japan via China for, for sumo wrestling, um, went back to the States two days later. Um, no, went to Mexico via the States for a kite surfing tournament. We were in Mexico for like 14 hours Mm -hmm. Flew to Florida via Dallas, you know, on the way back, went to see um, Jack Russell race, Terrier racing, monster trucks and flag football all in the same day that night flew to Atlanta for an indoor lacrosse league game. So in the space of six days, we did, you know, 25,000 miles um and saw eight sports in three countries or four countries including china with a stop-off but oh mate that i mean that was what our life was like and yeah we were trying mm-hmm. to make shows about the sports we saw to keep the whole thing going so right. yeah it took the it took its toll in the end and when we realized you know the money was running out it was uh <laughs> unfortunately it was a bit of a yeah
0: oh, you yeah. did earn your stripes as the world's biggest sports fan yeah. um so congratulations on that now you have well this is still a cricket podcast, so let's oh, talk so about let's talk some cricket you yeah. did you know before you you know you had this dream to follow all these sport uh, you know sporting events across three hundred sixty five days you played a fair amount of sports early, earlier in your life yeah and you know we don't really have enough time to go into all of that so let's let's focus on the cricket uh, what Talk to us a little bit about your journey in cricket. And and in particular, you know, uh, you had a couple of memorable games that I'm very curious about. One is (laughs) for Wales uh, and the other in a club game for Helensvale. Helensvale, yeah,
1: definitely. Um, We'll we'll cover the Helensvale. So, uh, look, I played cricket. I played my first game of senior cricket when I was 10 or 11 years old, playing with my dad. so every, my dad was captain of a, like a very, very lower grade team. Uh, so I always took my kit just in case somebody didn't turn up. You know, I made right. my debut when I was, I think I was 10. It might've been 11. I don't know. He got out for naught that day. Used to open the batting. I batted at number 11 and I made two not out. I think the bowling was very friendly, but I was only like four <laughs> for two. Anyway, I kind of progressed through. I went to a very sports orientated school. Um, cricket and rugby were the focuses there. I played first-team cricket since, you know, I was I was 16. Um, I was a bowler more than anything. Um, played a bit of rep cricket along the way. Got picked up or got asked to, to come to Glamorgan um, and train with them after playing a bit of first-grade club cricket in, in Wales. Um, played against Ireland for, for, you know, an under-21s team. It was Irish under-25 team. So... Or oh, training with Glamorgan pre-season, 93, I think. Um, I'll tell a story about, you know, we're there banging away in the nets. You know, I'm bowling in the fast net for, you know, a couple of hours. Obviously, at that time with Glamorgan, Viv was the overseas professional. So, um, Viv's there just wandering around, not really paying too much attention. Just having the time of his life. You can hear him laugh in the background every other, you know, every other sentence. So we've been bowling away for about, you know, an hour and a half and still just flogging it, flogging it. All of a sudden, Viv gets up, walks off, comes back with his pads on. So I thought, oh, this could be interesting. So we're in the fast bowling net. There's five or six of us there. So Viv calls out whoever was batting there, walks straight down the bottom end. So the guys come bowling in. He just stands up and the first ball hits it on a length and just absolutely smashes it. They think, oh, this could be interesting. Next guy comes in, does exactly the same, Viv, back, back foot, just carves it straight out the middle again. So he's done this three or four times, and I come in to bowl, and I bowl probably the same, a little bit wide, and he just stands up again, absolutely smashes it out the middle of the bat. And I'm going, I've walked down to pick the ball up, and all of a sudden Viv's put the bat under his arm and walked out the net, and I said, Viv, what are you doing, man? You just, you know, you've only been here five minutes. He went, it's okay, man. I'm hitting them. All right, no need to practice today. And he just walked <laughs> off. So that was my uh, one delivery to Viv Richards in the Nets. Um, so, yeah, so I was with Morgan. I Unfortunately, hurt my back, and I didn't really get to play. Um, the following year, I uh, got picked to play for Wales, which is – it's kind of not – it is our national team, but it's not our national team. They're, they're, uh, they play in the minor counties leagues. Um you don't really even have to be Welsh to play from, although we do, we used to play in a, the tri-nations against Ireland and Scotland as well. And we used to kind of beat those guys all the time. And, you know, Ireland's got full test status and Scotland's got full one-day one day international status. And it still riles me. If you listen to our radio show, <laughs> you will know that it still annoys me to this day that Wales don't have a national team. Anyway, um, yeah, so my Wales debut consisted of us winning the toss, um, batting batting for the first hour, and then it rained the rest of the day. So uh, I have zero stats for my one international cap. Um, So I came out, I got sponsored to come to Australia and play cricket. I I was always good in the bar. I I don't think I was a great cricketer, but I was very, very good entertainment. And I used to put a lot of money behind the bar back then. So I ended up playing in Queensland. I got sponsored by a club. Unfortunately, my first year here, I also got a bit of an injury. So I couldn't really play, you know, too much decent standard. I Hard. The difference between playing in Britain and playing in Australia is um, in Britain, you play four or five times a week. So you play evening cricket, you play 2020s, you play Saturday and Sunday. Here, you train three days a week and play one day a week. And the grounds are quite hard. So the, the strain on the body is, is very, very tough. Um, you don't quite understand until you really come here and play and you realize your body aches very, very differently from playing in, in the UK to playing over here. Anyway, um, so I ended up signing with a club on the Gold Coast, Helensville, and in my very, very first game for them, I've never never played. I knew a couple of players there and that was about it. So, uh, because I haven't played for them, they put me in number 11. Now, I, I was, I'm a vaguely handy batter. You know, I opened a lot in 2020 cricket. You know, I've, I've been a pinch hitter for years. That kind of position's kind of gone by the wayside now. Anyway, so I ended up with number 11. We were 102 for nine when I went into bat. And um, the number 10 was two not out when I went in. And he got out for eight. He left me stranded on 105, not out. So um, <laughs> I think at nine sixes, nine fours, we put on 120, 125 for the last wicket. And uh, yeah, I yeah got 100 number 11. Kind of made... The newspapers all around the world. Uh, I think it's probably one of my proudest moments as a cricketer. <laughs> <to> Getting a hundred <laughs> number eleven because like, I've played thousands of games of cricket. You know, my dad's played thousands of games. I've never ever talked to anyone that's seen a number eleven get a hundred. I know Ashton Agar got ninety-eight in a Test match, but you know, we
0: We are going well to put up line. that. We are going to put up that scorecard on, on oh, the website beautiful. for people to yeah. see, because yeah. I want people to see how. Amazing, it is when you see a a scorecard so lopsided where it's like barely anything from the top order, middle order, lower order, and suddenly there's one zero (laughs) nine that's the biggest number in the scorecard. And it's the last batsman that is fascinating. So, uh,
1: it was phenomenal. I actually caught up with um, with the umpire from that game like late last year, and he's still was in awe. And it was one of those innings where it was a, you know, it was chanceless. It wasn't as though I got dropped four times or anything. It was like the sixties, I was clearing the boundary by a long way. And it was, you know, you, you have these days where you're just in the zone you hit everything in the middle. Um, but I think I saw the scorecard not that long ago. And I think my first four or five scoring shots were all false, you know, and I, it was, like I said, I, you know, I've got hundreds before. I've got a double hundred before that. Um, but in terms of that, it was, yeah, one of those days. Where did you, you farm a, a
0: lot of the strike?
1: Um, not really. Nah. Kind of okay. the guy, the guy number 10, he, he he did really well to hold his end up because okay. in all fairness to uh, Anthony Ramsden, he was useless. Um, <laughs> you know, and he, he, did, he did, you know, he held one end up and kept it out and, just one of those days
0: it, i was going to say happens. that if you did i was going to say that if you did farm to strike uh we could use your expertise for the <laughs> indian team we could really use some help in uh you know how to farm the strike when you're batting with uh, the tail enders.
1: yeah oh yeah you mentioned that last night how many times did they want to try and get run out it was, it was that,
0: that's just for entertainment <laughs> yes <laughs> that's just course. for entertaining the fans yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah now one of those things um Yeah. I. Do you know what? I've said this for years as well. If you're a professional cricketer and you play cricket all day, every day, and it's your life, you should be able to bat. Really. You should be able to bat because you've got the time, you've got the resources, really you you should be able to work on your bat. If you're a test bowler, you are that good, whether it's naturally or whether it's coached or, you know, whatever. You don't really need to train that much on your bowling. And I don't know whether this, this is controversial or not, but I've said this since I was about 25. You know, the bowling is one thing. Bowling is all about rhythm as well, by the way. Don't, I don't care what anyone says. If you've got your run-up right, you should be able to bowl fine. So if you work on your run-up, then everything else should fall into place. You have the time and availability of resources to go and bat, 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 and work on your batting. Right. It it's really is, should be as simple as that. So there, there shouldn't be any bunnies in Test cricket. I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I yeah, do, the days I of do, Chris
0: Martin are over.
1: Exactly right. Should be. But, I mean, like I say, like you said, even from last night with or yesterday in the Test match, yeah, the, the, the fact that um, Jadeja really was trying to kind of farm the strike for long periods of time where he didn't trust Ishant or Shami or or uh, Siraj you know really you should have some faith you know and the other thing is the, the run rate slows to one or two and over if you're right. lucky you're not actually achieving anything by farming the strike unless you're actually going for it and delivering so it's a right. bit different if Pant is batting with a tail because he's mm-hmm. going to smash it everywhere and then <laughs> and then get one or one off the last couple of balls of the over so I don't know it's I don't think you should be farming the strike i know what you're saying but uh i don't know you're just delaying the obvious and you're not get actually you just make you're attempting to make people tired which doesn't really work because the bowlers have generally got their tails up
0: right
2: right so um beefy the one other thing i wanted to talk about was um when it comes to sports i've I've noticed i've played multiple sports and i've always noticed there's always qualities or um things that you can sort of transfer between one and another And you've played a lot of sports, a lot more than I have, you know, cricket, swimming, rugby union. Uh, Were there some things which sort of helped you across?
1: Do you know what? I I think the fact that people are not playing multiple sports right now is an issue. The football season in the UK is now 12 months a year. So when I was growing up, especially in Wales, Cricket was the most popular sport. And you think, really? What about football? What about rugby? The fact was the rugby season and the football season finished kind of late, you know, end of April, early early May. And then it didn't really start up again until September. So all the footballers and all the cricketers, uh, sorry, all the footballers and all the rugby players all used to play cricket. Now, they're not playing cricket anymore because the football and rugby season is going to months a year. I think the fact that the, when we go out and play, you know, you want to go and play football, you play a bit of basketball um, you play cricket and that helps you get into, you know, if you want to play baseball or softball or whatever, all those are interchangeable. But the fact that the people used to play multiple sports just helped you as a more rounded people, uh, a more rounded person, but it just gave you extra skills that were transferable transferable across the board. So, you know, I think cricketers, like to play pool or snooker you know it's that precision sport that you can you know you have that mentality where you can go out and think oh i'm quite good at this you know and and rob who i do 365 says the same about me you know we'll go and play trugo or table tennis or something and i'll be in a position where i'll pick it up straight away just the fact that i kind of understand how the body works i understand the mechanics because of you know all the other sports i play but i think you know in getting back to your, your actual question i i think you need to diversify i think you know you need to encourage your kids to get out and try as many different sports you know try a racket sport try a cue sport try a sport you have to play with your feet um yeah it just it gives you those better motor skills really across the board um in australia there's a big push for uh to recruit AFL Aussie Rules players from basketball because it's that same 360 degree sport you know you're seeing things from every angle you understand the positioning you understand where you need to be and those kind of the mental side of things or the skill set required is transferable I know in the NFL as well um they're trying to recruit basketballers for skill positions in terms of tight end or receiver because they can see What's going on around, and they understand the um, the spatial awareness is the phrase people use. So in terms of that, I think there's a big crossover now in terms of skill set and being coached one way through an elite level to transfer across. And I think uh, you know, in terms right. of Aussie rules as well, you know, there is a there's a couple of Yanks, uh, uh, sorry, a couple of Americans playing in the Aussie rules over here because of you know they're six foot ten. They offer some, uh, you know, a, a large body, but the fact it is a different sport because you have to kick the ball from basketball, but their skill set does warrant them being able to transfer to the elite level a lot easier than it would if you, you know, play rugby. I suppose just, just different,
2: right. Yeah, I think the the two things that come to my mind is I, I think you're spot on. Like there definitely are things which are transferable. And the example that comes to my mind was when I was, I took a few lessons for golf a couple of years ago. And when I was learning that and uh, the coach that we had, he was like, oh yeah, open your foot a little bit more and things like that. And I was like, this is very similar to wicket keeping. Like I, I'm a wicket uh-huh. keeper and it feels very similar to, you know, open your waist and move accordingly. And so it came a lot more naturally to me than it did to some of the other class. Um, I still did poorly, that's a different thing, but, <laughs> uh, but I mean, that was one thing. And the other thing was also the mental aspect, as you said, um, you know, I, in cricket, especially when I'm batting and same thing with golf, just having a blank mind helps so much. And I feel like I, I would not have understood that if I had not played, you know, decent years mm-hmm. of cricket. Um, or how, how do you achieve blank mind? Even that is, you know, yeah. challenging enough.
1: Oh, definitely. Uh, well, here's a question for you guys. I mean, you're in the States and we're talking about crossover. I know there's no money in the cricket side of things over there, but why aren't their baseballers, especially batters, why can't they make the transition to cricket? I know Boomer Collins tried it. I know there's a few others looking at it right now. Uh, I mean, there's some decent money in the Caribbean Premier League, and obviously we've got Ali Khan, not necessarily a baseballer, but, you know, why aren't American baseballers seeing, you know, cricket as a as a decent avenue to transfer their skills?
2: So uh, when we started this podcast, I actually had put in a topic of discussing if we can take the New York Yankees, give them a couple of years and make them cricketers, like give them money, a couple of years, coaches, all of that. And would they be able to compete with the top teams? That was like the question that I had. And I wanted to have a conversation around that and we never got to it, but I think it's a, it's a great, it's a great question. Like I, I've, you know, I've debated this with my American friends many times where they've, you know, they follow baseball, they've seen a little bit of cricket and they think, yeah, their skills are not identical, but there is definitely, you know, some, some things to learn there. And I think it would be, it, it's definitely possible. I think, I, the way you started your question, I think you kind of answered it there. There's no money in cricket. Like there, yeah. nobody knows cricket, and there's no money. If tomorrow cricket becomes even the level that soccer is in the U.S., which it's not great for sure, but even if it becomes that level, then I do think that you know, sort of some of the fringe players in baseball who realize they're not good enough for the major league might start thinking that way. It's yeah, also I just
0: negative. It's, uh, it's also just negative. Perception of cricket, you know, like the great Robin Williams said, you know, cricket is like baseball on Valium. It's it's just got this connotation that it is not as exciting. It is, it's it's very dull. And again, this is all before T Twenty came into the picture. Um, so I feel it's not marketed well in the U.S. And I think that will go a long way towards it. I think the hundred, like you mentioned earlier, hundred may be a good way to get, it, you know, get in. Um, and I think it's already, you know, well suited with all its flashy graphics and rules that are hard to understand at times, perfect for American audience. Um, so I think if it's marketed well, and, you know, once, once people, more people are aware of cricket and its idiosyncrasies, then we can make the push to, like, attract baseball players to it, you know, whoever is interested in making that switch. But there's just so much more that needs to be done before we get yeah. to that stage.
1: I think what you said earlier is about if, if, if it's ever going to be successful in the States, it has to become a college sport. And I think that's the, that's the biggest barrier because facilities, coaches. I mean, that's the other thing. Coaches, you need mm-hmm. people out there to administer, coach, um, develop, recruit. I mean, that, there's, a, there's a huge, like you, like you said, there's a huge number of barriers that need to be addressed before we, you can even make that next step. But if you've got people like Mike Trout signing $500 million contracts, then, yeah, the, the attraction is probably not going to be to play cricket over baseball in terms of money. The money's always going to be there. It, you know, that's it's a huge aspect. You know, it's, you're right, exactly right in what you say. But, uh, yeah, well, I mean, let's just, let's just hope that it, you know, it gets you to the Olympics and all of a sudden it's a whole set of eyes become you know, part and parcel of the American you know, sports um, platform because you know, in terms of, right. of, of how that gets perceived, if it's not on TV or you know, when I was living in Texas um, me and a couple other guys used to have to go to a hotel the Radisson in Denton you know, we had to be in the, in the, in the hotel bar there we had to get them to move the satellite dish to a certain, um, certain angle so they could, we could get the transmission from, from the Caribbean so we could watch England versus the West Indies. Um, but, you know, look, it's a lot more accessible now, but back then it was a real, real struggle to get cricket on the TV in the States. You never believe this as well. The test match that me and a couple of other guys got the satellite dish moved to go and watch was the Brian Lara 400. Or actually, in the three seventy-five. I think you got the four hundred a bit later on. So, um, yeah, amazing. But you know, it's there's unfortunately as well. I mean, we just mentioned me going to see you know three hundred odd sports, but there are so there is so much competition for eyeballs right now in the sports world. It is so difficult to kind of right. move anything into the mainstream because you know as much as we want to see cricket on ESPN over there, you're also competing with cornhole. You're competing with axe throwing. You're competing with the slippery steps, um, you know, Red Bull, uh, billy cart races, all of a sudden. And
0: potentially you know, dog dancing.
1: Potentially dancing with dogs. Yeah. That's, a, that's exactly <laughs> right. So in terms of stuff like that, it, it's a tough market. And, uh, you know, it's, I think the one thing in cricket's favour realistically, is the fact that India has got 1.5 billion people. Um, Mm. So if you do want numbers, the numbers are there for cricket, which is one good thing. Um, You know, we we always made that argument about football. You know, it's the world game. And why it took the US so long to adopt football is because, well, one diversity in population for a start, but the fact that was, yeah, actually we do need to embrace soccer because it is the world game. Things are going on. Uh, around us and we need to catch up. So it's in terms of that. Yeah. That's the one fantastic thing in cricket's favor. It has the numbers. Um, so yeah, it's from me living in the States, 93, 94 and seeing football soccer over there to where major league soccer is now and the perception on the world stage. I've got people that, you know, I went to college with that, wouldn't even follow football who now 30 years later, 25 years later are avid soccer fans, but not of major league. They'll follow a, you know, a German side, an Italian side, an English side. Uh, And they're very interested in what the U S national team are doing, which is, you know, back in 93, 94, nobody cared. Um, So yeah, I, I genuinely think cricket, if anything, has a chance, but it is putting those things in place. And like you say, it's, it's getting into the colleges. And that's, that's, I don't know if this is still the case, but I remember my dad met the dean of Pepperdine University, which is a massive IT school, I believe, in California. Now, they had so many um, students from the subcontinent. They had to build, I think they built 10 cricket fields because they had 5,000 Indian Pakistani IT students who all wanted to play cricket. So they actually had an internal cricket league and I'm pretty sure it's Pepperdine University. So um, it's there. The, the need, if the need's there, the want will be there. And if the Americans want to make you happen, they can make you happen. It's as simple as that. But I think you're right. The colleges need to embrace it.
2: Right. I think the one other thing that comes to mind, especially you know when I'm talking to somebody who's watched 300 sports, <laughs> is how how you know. And and I've always felt this, and I'm I think you'll agree, but how sports really helps you succeed in life. I feel like there's a lot of skills that you learn with, you know, sports, whether it's teamwork, just managing people, um, motor skills, of course. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Do you, it, it, I, I personally think, you know, if I ever have a kid, I'm pushing them into sports at a very young yeah. age because of that. Yeah. Um, no, it's, you agree? It,
1: totally. It's a mindset as well. And it's, it's, a, I don't care what level, of any sport you play, but it is always a desire to be your best, perform at your best, and develop your own skills. Um, and that creates, you know, a way of living your life. And it, it Also, after you've played sport, team sport especially, and you go into your working environment with other teams, you, as a manager, you also learn how to build certain teams, you know that, you know, you can't build a cricket team with 11 bowlers or 11 batsmen. You need a mix of batters, fielders, bowlers, and you need a wicketkeeper because, you know, it's the old money ball effect, so to speak. And I think people after that film started getting their heads around, oh, we need to build a team full of different people because a well-rounded and well-grouped team goes a long way and you need to work you need to work on yourself how to be your best self within that team as well because even though you may have some star players in a business environment they need support staff around them to to shine and you know that's that ethos across the board from sport into business life yeah definitely it's it's crucial it really is crucial and you know part of my french is the wankers soon get found out right If you've got someone that doesn't fit in your team environment, you know, they get found out pretty quickly and get cast aside because they need to embrace the fact that they are part of a team. And I think most team sports have that. You know, they may have a star player that's a bit different, but, you know, you learn to live with that, but you can adjust. And the fact that you're around other people for a vast quantity of time, but playing cricket in Britain, you get to learn a lot about your teammates because... It rains a lot over there. You spend a lot of time in the dress room doing weird stuff to keep you occupied. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it vital. I, I couldn't imagine. And in fact, this is no joke. In the business world, people that haven't played sport, you find don't fit into the team environment in, in a business sense. They're kind of, you know, they don't quite understand that. Um, unity and that working together, you know, that's a very, very right. broad, you know, I'm painting a broad picture there. But, you know, people that don't kind of fit in and you find out a bit about their background, you, you kind of do understand that they, you know, they probably haven't played sport in a, you know, an a decent, decent way. And they don't know, like I said, I'm being re- really broad, I'm talking about people I've come across. They don't know about how to develop themselves. They don't know how to, you know, the, how to work on themselves to, um, to, to, to um, what's the word, ingrain themselves into that environment. So it's, yeah, I, I find in my recruiting uh, of people that if, if they've had a healthy team sport environment, they, they generally, have, you know, they do add value to the team, so to speak.
2: <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that was one of the sort of eye-opening things for me once I did move to the US uh, after completing my master's. I, when I was going through that process, a lot of people asked about that. And, and I mean, I had mentioned it on my resume that, yeah, I, like, I'm a blogger and I've played cricket, but I never expected anybody to ask. And it, I noticed that a lot of companies spent half the time asking me about it. And which was, which was great for me, but mm. um, it, it really showed, you know, that companies do value and people do value um, other people who've been in different experiences, different locations and so on.
1: Yeah. Look, and when I started my working life, um, the, you know, there was a massive push to, oh, he's been at this company 10 years, his loyalty. But there, there's a big push for experience. So, if you've done a couple of years at one place and moved to somewhere else, you know, and kept either developing yourself or developing your skills or working on your experience, companies see that more now of, um, of an asset than you being at some place for 15 years because, you know, loyalty was, was, was one of a, a big factor in recruiting people. And now it's, now we need this guy because he's been there, he's, he would have seen that um, you know, he's moved around a bit, so he's got the experience of that. So that's become more vital than loyalty or staying in the same place for a certain amount of time. So it's interesting how um, uh, um, well, uh, perceptions have varied over time. It's uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to see how things have now speeded up over the past few years than they, they have, you know, 25 years ago, really.
0: Yeah. really fascinated to see how that continues to evolve over time as attitudes and perceptions continuously change yeah Uh, exactly on that note beefy i want to thank you so much for your time uh i know that we took a fair amount of it but again that's all right you have such a fascinating story (laughs) and i can't wait for people to listen to this and uh Um, yeah, I, I, I'm really looking forward to hearing more, uh, about what your next big plan is or your next thing that pops up in your head. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to give that a go. I'm very curious to (laughs) hear what that's going to be next.
1: Yeah. Well, I only did 306 different sports in a year and it's a Guinness world record out there now that needs to be broken. So yeah, I'd love one day we might, we might have a look at doing 365 again, and um, you know with the right backing and everything else let's i'll try and get to that 365 and 365 let's you know that's that's a, a long well i wouldn't say long way well it is with covid it's definitely a long way off <laughs> yes. at the moment but, it's got to uh, go the
0: back burner for a while yes. Yeah, exactly so <laughs> in,
1: in terms of that yeah that that's it's not it's not out of the question me having another go at that that's for sure but uh yeah no we're still doing the radio show 365 days of sport me and rob still do a radio show off the back of that it's uh it's quite funny, but um, yeah, who knows? Who knows? We'll, something weird and wacky will come up—that's for sure.
0: Right, and uh, we hope you keep us posted about it, and uh, we'll love to have you back. And you I know, will. Talk about I'll, that. Put,
1: I'll put my hand up. I'll be your ashes correspondent. I'll. Uh, you can. We'll get. Give you the inside track. While, uh, while- that
0: sounds great, and I hope Australia, you know, put up a performance worthy of that.
1: Well, with England's top three, I don't think they they need to really worry too much. Uh, yeah, don't yeah. worry about that. All right. Well, oh, B. my pleasure. Thanks, thanks, yeah. Benny. Thanks, Mike, for uh, for having me on. I really do appreciate it. I, I like talking cricket, as you can as you yes. can tell. It,
2: it, yeah,
1: it was it's been a big part of my life. So, uh, look, I'm 48 now. I'm still playing what we call they we have a last man stands over here, eight to side cricket. So I'm still kind of getting out and about, playing a little bit of that. So, uh, yeah. Still keep my hand
2: in. Alright. Well, that's awesome. Okay. Well, thank you for your time.
1: No problem, guys. Absolutely my pleasure. Brilliant talking to you.
0: Well, that's it for this episode of The Last Wicket. Thanks again to Beefy for joining us. And do check out our show notes for links to all his social media handles as well as information about 365 days of sport. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this conversation, do rate and subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes, follow us on your social media feeds, and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. If you can, please do us a favor and answer the survey about our podcast that is linked in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and from all of us here at the last week, stay safe and stay healthy.